You're listening to a Corridor Business Journal podcast. It's time for straight talk about diversity, frank questions, honest answers, and real insights. It's Diversity Straight Up, brought to you by Green State Credit Union, with your hosts, Sadika Vodka of Nikea Diversity Consulting and Anthony Arrington of Top Rank Professional and Executive Search Firm. Diversity Straight Up, brought to you by Green State Credit Union, is a Corridor Business Journal podcast. On today's episode, Rafael Espinal, Executive Director of Freelancers Union. You know, I think it is important to say something, but you have to be careful in what you say, right? Are you uh, expressing uh, support or are you expressing your uh, opinions on, 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 the, on the issue that's, that's taking place, uh, whatever the issue might be? And I think it's more important that you express support. We'll be right back. Green State Credit Union is proud to sponsor Diversity Straight Up. Established in 1938, Green State is Iowa's largest financial cooperative serving nearly 250,000 members of all walks of life. Green State's products include checking accounts, loans, investments, insurance, commercial services, mortgages, and credit cards. Profits are returned to members in the form of better rates on deposits and loans. We encourage you to learn more at greenstate.org. Green State is federally insured by the NCUA and is an equal housing opportunity lender. Diversity Straight Up, brought to you by Green State Credit Union, is also sponsored by Alliant Energy. Welcome to another episode of the Corridor Business Journal's Diversity Straight Up. I'm your host, Sadika Bakta. And I am Anthony Arrington. And we're about to have a great show today. We're, we're excited to have some straight up conversation with Rafael Espinal. He is the executive director of the Freelance Union. Uh, but before we get to that, Sarika, something's on my mind. Something's on my mind. You know, I've been consumed for the last week, again, having to relive George Floyd during the trial. And it's really disturbing to me that we have to waste what I consider taxpayer time and money for something so simple. Something so obvious, and it's been really tough having to relive this again. I can't imagine what the family's going through. Uh, it's been a tough week. These are challenging times, especially with uh, race relations in America, and I know the Derek Chauvin trial is going to be a pivotal moment. Yeah. People are going to have different reactions, experiences, and opinions about the trial. Yeah. Yet the fact remains that uh, the racial trauma is so high, yeah. and we can only um, start the healing when we start the reckoning. Yep. I know for me, I've had to do a lot of intentional self-care as part of a way for me to safeguard my own mental and emotional yeah. well-being with the increase in the racial trauma that I know that we're all experiencing. Yeah, yeah I've, got, I've got colleagues that just can't watch. It's too, it's too hard. It's, it's, it's definitely challenging, and yet yeah. at the same time, we know that when it comes to race relations, we need to be able to have those conversations. Yet yeah. when you're looking at re-traumatization, I've been reading a lot about this as well, is that part of that coping me- mechanism yeah. or a way to be able to help navigate yeah. is sometimes you may just have to disconnect. You may just have to 
tell people that I don't want to discuss the trial right now. Yep. And again, that's why I go back to those intentional self-care strategies um, to yep. be able to help through these uh, difficult times yeah, here. Yeah, a lot of self-care. Well, let's get on to the show. We can talk all day. Let's get on to the show. Let's have a nice conversation with Raphael. Say guess. What's on your mind? Listeners, we have Rafael Espinal, Executive Director of Freelancers Union, which is a national nonprofit organization. It is the largest and fast-growing organization representing the 56.7 million independent workers across the country. They provide their 500-plus members a powerful support system and voice through policy, advocacy, benefits, resources, and community support. Rafael was born and raised in Brooklyn. He became New York's youngest elected official when he joined the state assembly at the age of 26. The son of Dominican immigrants who were union members as well as freelancers, Raphael quickly became a leader fighting on behalf of workers, small businesses, artists, low-income communities, and the environment. Raphael, thank you so much for joining us on the show. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. Well, Raphael, tell us a little bit about yourself. What was your experience growing up in Brooklyn as the son of Dominican immigrants? Yeah, well, well, before uh, I uh, tell my story, I just also want to express my condolences to the George Floyd family and uh, want them to know that uh, along with all Americans and people around this globe, I, I do send my condolences and we're watching closely and we're also praying for justice as well. Um, so I, I grew up in Brooklyn and I, I grew up in a, in a community uh, called East New York. It's actually probably was one of the most disinvested communities uh, in the whole city. Uh, so the issues of social justice, economic justice, environmental justice uh, were issues that are always in the forefront of, I think, every, every resident citizen that is concerned about how government and is treating you know, the folks in our community and investing in communities like mine. Um, but, you know, I was lucky. I, I grew up with a, with a family of hardworking immigrants who immigrated here uh, sometime in the 60s or 70s. They were able to get union work, uh, do some freelancing on the side, raise a family of six, buy a home, lay down real roots. Um, and uh, through that experience, um, I would say that uh, it, it really taught me, as, as you mentioned, the, you know, the importance of hard work uh, and the importance in investing in yourself, the importance of, of being a, a strong community member in your, in your neighborhood. So the, the, the idea of civics and, and giving back has always been instilled in the back of my mind. Um, I didn't know I was going to be, grow up to become an elected official or be involved in politics. Uh, I actually was a, a film major in college, thinking I'll take a more creative route uh, and tell stories of my community using the, using the arts. Uh, and it, it was really after I graduated college in which I was presented with the opportunity of working for an elected official. You know, it, it wasn't something I had in mind, but I saw it as an opportunity to take as I uh, was pursuing an, a different career, maybe teaching in high school, because I was thinking about how can I get back to my community? Is it, is it, is it, do, is it through film? Can I just become a teacher in a local high school and inspire the, those kids? Because those teachers, from my experience, did not look like, like, did not look like the community. And I, I thought that my presence in the classroom would, would have that greater effect. Um, so I began to work for a local city council member, uh, just thinking it'd be an odd job for a while until I get my graduate degree uh, and get into the schools. But it, through that experience in that office is where I really learned that uh, the true power and true change uh, really can come uh, from your local representatives, really can come from your government. Just as long as you have a representative 
that is uh, concerned and aware of, of their powers and also concerned about your, your needs and, and, and want to uh, fight for uh, real change or, or deliver for resources to the communities uh, to make sure that everyone lives a life in, in dignity. So that that's really where my, my life in government kind of really began. So Rafael, one of the things uh, we, we uh, like our listeners to learn about our guests is, is those aha moments in their life where, you know, something happened either personally or professionally that really impacted their, their psyche, their, their decision-making um, and it and really impacts them as a leader. And so it's very impressive that you were the youngest assemblyman at the age of 26, the youngest politician in the state of New York. Um, but talk to me about that aha moment in your life, whether personally or professionally, that really um, made you want to take that leap. Is, is it is there some, some point in life that made you want to, to do that? Uh, being that I grew up in a neighborhood that I was so disinvested in, um, I always knew that ch that change was possible as long as we have the right leadership. Um, uh, but I wasn't really in thinking about running for office. Uh, I just knew that somehow, somewhere, that there there is an opportunity here to really make a difference on, on the people's lives and make real investments. But it wasn't until in my personal life where I had a family member uh, who actually got caught up in the justice system. You know, uh, you know, we we were a family that I would say. The model family. No one got in trouble. No one's been to jail. Uh, my parents didn't really have to worry much for their kids. Uh, you know, family was very integrated with each other, but it, it happens, right? And things like that happen. Um, and when this family member of mine uh, was arrested and went through the process, uh, you know, we were able to find a lawyer. But at the end of the day, because of this person's uh, uh, immigration status, and because of the nature of, of the crime that they were they were uh, they, that they were convicted for, they ended up being deported. And for the back of my mind throughout the entire process, just it always ate at me that the idea that only if we understood the justice system better, only if we understood that hiring a better lawyer would have had a different outcome, you know, it's very possible that that person would have continued being living here in our country, being part of the family. And I can't help to think about how many families are out there because they don't have the access to resources, the access to education, uh, the, the, the access to, uh, to the to resources to hire a good lawyer. Um, they, they're often fall through the cracks. And I think it's important that we have folks in, in, in positions of leadership who are gonna play an essential role in making sure that there's real equity across the board, where everyone has the same access to good quality uh, whether it be uh, legal protections or, or financial support or whatever it is, uh, yeah. I think across the board, we have to have leaderships that understand the importance of, get, of making sure everyone has equal access to all of these resources so that everyone can live their lives with dignity and respect. Yeah, Raphael, uh, speaking of um, equity and getting to those equal outcomes, I want to shift gear a little bit. Trends are reflecting a workforce shift with millennials and Gen Zs who like freelancing and freelancers are expected to be the majority of the U.S. workforce by 2027. How can companies create a more equitable and inclusive workplace cultures where freelance workers or independent workers feel welcomed and valued, especially if they are not afforded benefits like other employees such as health coverage? Yeah, it's a very important question. It's actually a really hot topic right now. When you uh, turn on the news and you hear about the fight of gig workers with these app-based companies like Uber or Instacart, um, you know, it's, it's a real discussion about making sure that all workers are treated with dignity and, and have access to all of these resources in which they have a broad social safety net. 
to be able to, you know, afford living in the cities they live in and be able to provide a family with the resources they need to have to have a healthy, you know, life, live a healthy life with healthcare, for example. Um, but I think that that uh, one, just to go back to the Gen Zers and the millennials, you know, trends are showing that we're seeing younger generations turn to freelance work, independent work, as opposed to the traditional workplace environment. I think one, uh, I think one of the big major reasons that every, I think we're seeing a big trend in everyone wanting to self-brand themselves, take control of their lives, decide on how they're gonna make their money without feeling that they have to tie themselves to the social beliefs of a, of a corporation or a company. They can, they can take on those roles on their own and, and create a future for themselves. Um, and because of those trends, I think companies have to start thinking about how are they going to really start shifting uh, their resources and uh, their commitment to the workers, whether they're a traditional employee or independent contractor. Um, and uh, we, we're, where we're fighting for and what we're seeing happening now is that, you know, because there are more independent workers, there, there has been more opportunities in which they can band together and really ask for these companies for, for stronger rights and really push on the government to start making changes to laws that favor independent workers. Uh, for example, the Freelancers Union at one point uh, passed, it helped push and pass the, first na the nation's first Freelancers and Free Act, which is a law in which the, the, by law, every contractor has a right to a contract with the company and every contractor uh, has the right to getting paid within 30 days from a company. You know, we, we've seen in many instances in which freelancers do not get paid at the end of the job. Uh, and and uh, because of this law, now by law, the city can actually intervene and help freelancers collect the money from their client. New York City is the only city in the country with this law, but we hope to see it across the country as a model of how huh. independent workers should be treated moving forward. Well, well switching gears just a little bit again, uh, um, you were named the, the New York... New Yorker of the Year in 2017 by Time Out Magazine. And it was for leading the repeal of New York's No Dancing Cabaret Law. Yeah. And this has been used to target black-owned clubs, gay bars, and underground establishments uh, ever since the Prohibition era. Mm -hmm. So uh, talk to me about why did you take on that cause as a leader? Um, and how has that impacted you personally or professionally? What was the impetus behind it? Yeah, I mean, that's... It's a great question. And I, I think I will start off by saying this, that the reason this, that the reason the repeal was able, was able to happen was because there was someone in government who found that to be a priority and important issue. Right. And as a young person, uh, nightlife played a huge role in my twenties, you know, in, in, in my twenties, it was a way for me to connect with other people. It is part of this. I think every city's DNA to have a strong nightlife community. Um, so I've always noticed that government shied away from these topics because there inherently there's always been a, 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 a adversarial relationship between nightlife communities and the general community, right? People are, don't like the noise. They don't like the crowds. Mm. Um, and what we've seen historically in New York city is that the clubs that would end up getting shut down and the clubs that would end up getting more police activity were actually clubs that were being patroned by people of color. Uh, African-Americans, Caribbeans, uh, and then even also the LGBTQ communities, you know, uh, when, when a community does not, when a community generally does not um, empathize with, the with another community's needs, they, they, they use enforcement as a way to shut it down and get and move it away from their neighborhoods. Uh, so the repeal of the cabaret law was important to me. Yes, of course, it, it legalized dancing in New York, meaning you can dance anywhere, but in, at its root, it was about creating equity. You know, you don't have to be a club 
with millions of dollars. You don't have to be a club patron, mostly by white folks, in order to be able to succeed and thrive in New York City. You should be able to be a club that 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 is open and, and available to anyone and everyone from whatever community and not feel that somehow you are overstepping your the boundaries in society because of the color of the skins that you that you pay that, that you serve or because of the beliefs of the people who you serve. That's great. I wanted to, to t- tap into something you said at the beginning of that. And this is that important about having a seat at the table. I think I heard you say that this initiative moved forward because there was someone inside mm-hmm. who had a passion for this. And I think that's an example of what happens. And, and we talk about this, having a seat at the table and having a voice because otherwise those topics, they sit dormant and, and they never hit the conversation. So it's interesting to hear that. And I'm, I'm glad you were able to share that with our listeners. We, we talk a lot about having a voice at the table. Absolutely. Representation matters. And uh, I, I think that uh, we all have to be involved in some way, whether it be through government, whether it be through our own companies and ensuring that leadership looks like us or leadership understands what our needs are. And that's, I think, the only way where we'll start seeing real progressive change yeah. that benefits all at the end of the day. Representation matters, and that's why when you're thinking about the workforce composition and diversity, we've uh, seen due to the uh, working from home landscape, many of us have experienced, some say employers are now feeling more comfortable with remote work and are willing to hire independent workers, freelancers to fill the talent gaps, which can really help diversify the workforce. Yet location bias is really strong and it persists. So what suggestions uh, can you have um, to offer employers who are still looking for talent to be on site, especially given the explosion of the gig economy that we talked about earlier, which is here to stay, and freelancers are a big part of it? Yeah, I mean, that's an interesting question. And I, I'll be honest, I'm, I'm guilty of that as well. Uh, I remember uh, not too long ago, um, before the pandemic, as I was hiring someone, they asked if they can work from home three days out of the week, out of the five days we're at the office. And at the time, I thought it was a crazy idea, right? Like, I'm used to having employees in the office. I'm used to, like, being able to just to reach out to someone across the, t- the desk or the bullpen and say, hey, I need this or we need that. Or let's get sit together and think about ideas. But this pandemic has really shown me that you can be just as, uh, just as uh, effective uh, working remotely as well. You know, I've had not, have had it. Now that employee that asked for the three days to work from home is now working five days from home. And there hasn't, <laughs> there hasn't been any issue. You know, there hasn't been any issues at all. So I think a lot of it has to do, there's, there's, some, there's blockage, right? From, from leaders who are so used to having uh, an office environment that, they, that we've known for decades, for, for centuries, right? Just all working in the same place. Uh, but this pandemic has really opened up uh, the conversation about how can telecommunication play a role in finding talents in other cities or in other geographic locations and making sure you have the best worker and not just thinking about who can be at the office during that day. So we're going to start seeing this huge shift, I believe. Um, And it's really going to benefit uh, the economy as a whole, you know, no longer will, uh, will opportunities seem out of reach to folks who can't move to a larger city like LA or like New York city or some, you know, some of these other bigger cities that are seeing these huge hubs uh, that are being built within them, uh, I think we're going to start seeing uh, employers be more open to the idea of having. And I think on the, on the flip side, even for smaller communities, maybe not the big, larger metro areas, but even the larger communities where they say that we're trying to increase our workforce and diversify it. We don't have anybody living in our backyard. Now that excuse is no longer there. 
because of the telecommuting, the working from home, and this is what we've been saying all along. I know I've been preaching it for the longest time, but it's not until the working from home and the pandemic, and that's why I said the drivers of diversity, globalization, technology are a couple of them, and bam, put them together, and that's what we're seeing. So I hope that now, even in our backyards that are not part of your metro areas, they can start realizing that do these individuals really need to live in our backyards to be able to be part of our talent pool? If we don't see it coming, and it's a good point, Sarah, if we don't see it coming, if Target, just think of Target, Target's the most recent example, a million square feet in Minneapolis, and they're where they're headquartered, they're not opening it back up again. They're axing it because they, they've discovered <laughs> over the last year that they could be productive with remote workers. Um, so it's, it's definitely a trend. Alliant Energy is a place where I can create the future, where my skills, creativity, and new ideas make a better tomorrow. I help deliver the energy powering moments that matter to you. It's where we care about the environment and our neighbors, a place where my talents and skills grow. My job isn't a job, it's my passion, my place, my purpose, because I am energy. See how you can put your energy to work at AlliantEnergy.com slash careers. So great. We, we're about to get into our next segment uh, called What's on Our Listener's Mind. I wonder what our listeners are thinking right now. Uh, we usually have listeners send in questions. So if you have any questions for us, please send your questions to info at diversitystraightup.com. We have a question from Brandon living in California, and usually the listeners ask questions which we love to have our guest executives answer. So this one is for you, Raphael. Brandon says, as a white leader, I am getting mixed messages as to how I can show support given the current landscape with all the racial tensions and social injustice occurring. Some say I need to just listen and not say anything. Some say my silence is a sign of me being complacent and I should speak up. I'm confused. What should I do? I'm glad, Brandon, you're giving it to Raphael. Me too. It's a very good question. I mean, it's, uh, um, well, first and foremost, I think that uh, no one can really truly understand the hurt, the pain uh, that uh, uh, a person of color, an African-American feels when we're faced with these tough situations around social justice and racism, right? And I think the most important thing you can do is listen, right? You have to listen to how the person feels, be be open to the idea that you've never felt anything like that before uh, and be sensitive to that. Uh, and then two, you know, I think it is important to say something, but you have to be careful in what you say, right? Are you uh, expressing uh, support or are you expressing your uh, opinions on, 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 the, on the issue that's, that's taking place, uh, whatever the issue might be? And I think it's more important that you express support uh, and that you express that you are there as a sounding board, as someone who wants to listen and learn uh, about the about these experiences. Um, and and to the point of, of the of the question, I mean, there are certain times where uh, you know there there are folks who I think take a route in which they just want to be antagonistic, or no matter what position you take, or no matter what you do. Uh, but just understand that you know at the end of the day, you should be someone who is open to listening to people's feelings, understanding what they're going through, trying to understand what they're going through and, and just express that you want to learn uh, instead of trying to express what your opinion is on the, on the matter. When I think about, now that I'm thinking about this question, using your voice, um, to use your voice to call, call out wrong, 
that, that's an opportunity. I think many people in the space, particularly um, particularly Caucasians who, who may hear racist jokes at Uncle Jimmy's house over Christmas holiday or they're at the party or at the bar, those are opportunities to, to speak up. Um, where, where it becomes important to listen is, is when you're interacting perhaps with that underrepresented group and you don't understand. That's where some of that fear comes in. I'm afraid to say anything. I'm going to offend somebody in that underrepresented groups. And there's where there's maybe opportunities to do, to do more listening, I guess, as I'm thinking about that. Yeah. I do a lot of listening, Me too. especially when I'm learning about other communities yeah. that have been um, impacted Two because it does off. affect me as well, but Absolutely. I want to learn. At yeah. the same time, I think it's important to be able to uh, stand up and be an anti-racist. So, yeah. uh, Raphael, thank you so much for uh, sharing your insights and feedback uh, to our listener. Uh, listeners, we'd love to hear from you. So continue to send your comments, questions, feedback uh, to uh, Diversity Straight Up. No, actually, even I should know what this is. Info at diversitystraightup.com. <laughs> well, I think, Raphael, we'd like to be able to ask you, is there any advice you have for our, our listeners that's going to help them enhance them as leaders as they continue to go on their equity, diversity, inclusion, and engagement journey? Any advice? Yeah, I think um, the most important thing you can do is uh, hire folks who are completely different than you are and your style of leadership. I think what we a lot of mistakes leaders make is that they surround themselves with like-minded people uh, and they block themselves out from different points of views, uh, different types of talents. And I think it's more important to have a well-rounded team in which your blind spots can be covered by someone who's seeing things from a different prism. Uh, so diversity is important for those reasons. There's one, um, well, I would say diversity is important for those reasons uh, because it will, it will help enhance the skills, the skill pool around you and be able to tackle on issues you probably wouldn't be able to or like-minded folks wouldn't be able to. Well, thank you so much for sharing your advice. As we know, it's a journey and there's never an end point. Now we're so, going on to one of our final, final segments here. Do you want to kick it off or would you like me to? Happy to kick it off. Okay. This is called our diversity thumbball exercise. This is fun, Raphael. Uh, for our listeners, we have a we have a thumb ball here that you can see. It's like a soccer ball, and we have a lot of different icebreaker questions around diversity on these on the on the ball. I feel and like so Vanna. Typically, do is if you're in the studio with us, Raphael, you could play catch with us too. Uh, but we'll play catch for you. So we throw the ball, and wherever your thumb lands, left or right, you you pick a question, answer that question candidly. The beauty of it is we can still do this virtually with you, so you're not off the hook. Yep. I didn't prepare. How about I catch for him? <laughs> you want to catch for a, yeah. Raphael? Yeah. Okay. I always say I'm, I'm the worst at this. Yeah, Someday I'm going to destroy the studio by doing this. Joe's going to sue me. <laughs> All right. We'll go with left thumb. Raphael, your thumb landed on. Describe the messages you received about race when you were growing up. Describe the messages I received about race growing up. Yep. Wow. That's a, that's a very... I mean, I think the messages I think I've always heard as a child is don't be racist, you know, um, but it's uh, I don't think you really understand what that means until you experience it. You mm -hmm. know, um, as a Latino growing up in the poorest neighborhood in New York City, I mean, to this day, I'm self-conscious whenever I walk into a room, you know, and I think that's something that sticks with you uh, for the rest of your life. And it's something that you want to shake off, uh, but it's hard to shake off. Um, and I think that there, there needs to be more conversations, deeper conversations about what racism actually means. It's not just saying I don't like this person because of the color of their skin. It's really deeper than that. 
stigmas, you know? And I, I think that's, I think that's what we should start teaching our children that it's, it's deeper than just not liking someone. It's more about how you respond to someone through these mm-hmm. inherited, you know, I guess biases that you're, you're, you're given growing up. Thanks for sharing your thoughts. Zedeka, it's your turn. Okay. I was Should hoping I you'd throw it at Joe. <laughs> throw it really hard. Huh? Ready? <laughs> oh, I like this one. I haven't had this question. I didn't even know this one was on here. In what way is your world diverse? My uh, professional network is extremely diverse. I've been very intentional to uh, diversify it. And also this year being more intentional to diversify it from a geographic perspective and trying to be more global. I wanna have more global connections, real connections with professionals around the world. So that's how my world is diverse. Yeah, I think we talk about that all the time, what, that we have this conversation that, that, that black people and women don't own diversity. What does that really mean? So. Be different. Talk yeah. to people, and I like and I like what what Raphael said. You know, hire people that are different from you. Yeah, it's not always easy. That takes intent. Yeah, and in my case, I want to be surrounded by uh, global people around the world yep. and build true, true connections. Yep. Yeah. When in Rome. <laughs> well, I want to travel. I'm a global citizen, so I'm hoping my friends that I make here. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Let's see what I can come up with. What are some effective ways to address? bias in ourselves and others? Um, that's a good question. I'm going to go right to a, a term I, I, I have called brush your teeth moments. Um, by the way, if anybody steals that, that's mine. <laughs> um, my point is every, every day we have a couple minutes to ourselves, whether it's brushing our teeth in the mirror, in the shower, wherever you are, you have a couple minutes. And I always encourage everybody, at least this is what I do every day, is what, what can I do different in this space? How can I improve as a person what can I do different today I know I'm thinking about all my things throughout the day I gotta you know I gotta go have this meeting I gotta go to the store for my wife gotta do other other things but I I tried it I I, and I don't I I I don't do it all the time but I try every single day to ask myself what can I do better and I usually try to do it when I'm brushing my teeth and looking at myself in the mirror so those are some effective ways that I did I make a mistake when I said something yesterday Um, that I let my bias come out Ask yourself those questions because we all make those mistakes and then and then do something about it. I'm going to steal that. I'm going to steal that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm watching you. I'm watching you. <laughs> Raphael, thank you so much for joining us today. We really appreciated your insights um, that you brought to our listeners. And I know I've learned a lot in terms of the independent workers and the trends and how it can impact um, equity, diversity, inclusion and engagement, um, not only here, you know, domestically, but just around the world as we look at supplementing our workforce. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yep. And thanks to our listeners. We, we hope that you enjoy the show. Again, continue to, to tune in to Diversity Straight Up. We'll be on YouTube and on all your all your platforms. And um, as we always like to say to our listeners, Diversity Straight Up. Keeping it real. Thank you to our listeners, as we wouldn't be here without your support. Help us grow our subscriber base by sharing our show with others. Love this new episode of Diversity Straight Up brought to you by Green State Credit Union? Then head over to the most popular podcast audio platforms to describe, rate, and review us. And check out our other episodes while you're there. Catch us on our next episode, which drops monthly. We'd love to hear from you. 
Hit us up and send your questions, comments, and suggestions to info at diversitystraightup.com. Remember, wherever you live, work, and play, our backyards are increasingly global. It's not enough to simply be a leader. Be a global leader by leveraging diversity with equity, inclusion, and engagement. And share your journey. This may empower others to be bold change agents. Be courageous. Be authentic. Be vulnerable. Diversity Straight Up, brought to you by Green State Credit Union. Keeping it real. You've been listening to Diversity Straight Up, brought to you by Green State Credit Union. Additional support provided by Alliant Energy and the City of Cedar Rapids. For more from the Corridor Business Journal, please visit CorridorBusiness.com. This episode was produced by Joe Coffey of Coffee Grande Studios.